right. If you have your Bibles, open up with me. Open up with me. We're going to be looking at the book of 1 John. We'll be continuing our series in the book of 1 John. 1 John. God has, um, you know, if you're here for the first time, God has been um, working and, and walking us through the book of 1 John and talking about this the idea of being known by our love for one another. And so today, basically, we're going to be picking up in the book and we'll be talking about what it means um, to walk in the light. Last week, if you were here, we talked about if we are to be known by our love and by, the, by that statement, we recognize that that is the very essence of what Jesus called us. He says, the world will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. And if that is true, and if Jesus has declared that is, uh, that is the, the marker of his family um, in the body of Christ, then we need to understand that and embrace that, and that the book of 1 John is a great book for us to go to, for us to um, embrace and embody what Christ is calling us to be in this time. And so we're looking at the book of 1 John, chapter 1, we're going to be looking at 5, Five and all the way through the end of this chapter. If you have it, say amen. All right, so we're going to pick back up. And let me go ahead and read it again. I know Pastor has already read it, but let me read it once again. He says, 1 John 1, 5 to 2, 2. It says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. And, in, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only ours, but for also those of the world. Let's pray again. Father, we're thankful for this time. We pray, Father, for your will to be done. Speak to our hearts, Father, as only you know how to do. Father, we'll do our best to give you the praise, the honor, and glory. It's in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name that we pray. Amen and amen. So, Last week, we talked about if we're going to be known by our love, that our fellowship, our kononia, our partnership, our common union must be built on truth, that we're not talking about kind of this, um, you know, relativism or cultural pluralism, that we're not talking about universalism, that there is a truth that we stand on, and that truth is embodied in the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he is the truth that we have, and that that truth, what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have beheld with our hands as the apostles stated, we now declare to you, the, and then he's talked about this message, that we might have fellowship with one another. And they said, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. And then he said in verse 4, he says, this is so that our joy may be made complete. 
And so right here, what we see in 1 John chapter 5 is that it begins, in some translations and others, it doesn't kind of bring out that word in the Greek, it's chi. And that word chi means now or then or and. Basically, it's kind of marking this moment in the same as it's resumptive, it's picking up what we left in verse 3. And in verse 3, basically, it says this message that, this, that God, talking about fellowship and having communion with us, is that he picks this up right here and he says that this is the message. And, he, and the message is God is light. And in him, there is no darkness, absolutely no darkness at all. So last week, we talked about if we're going to be known by our love, that our fellowship must be built on truth. Today, we're going to talk about if. We're going to be known by our love. Our fellowship must be done in the light. Our fellowship must be done in the light. The first reason why that our fellowship must be done is in the light is because it says God is light. God is light. And and, and as it talks about that, this idea that God is light, it says there is absolutely no darkness. You see, in there, there's a translation, but, but in the Greek, Basically, there's this thing that, that it has as a double negative. In the English, it doesn't really capture it in the way. Because if we were just to literally read the Greek text, it would say, God is light, and in him there's, ap- there's no, no, no darkness at all. That it's creating this emphasis that there's absolutely no darkness in God. That he is light, that he is the embodiment, and he is light in there. And so when we recognize that, that this is why some of our translations are even in the CSB, it says that there is absolutely no darkness in God. And so really, and this is kind of a, a summary statement that is going to allow us to talk about the, the next few verses, because the, the, the logic ought to be that if God is light, and then we're going to see that he is calling you and I to walk in the light, then we have to understand is how do we walk in the light? You see, because the reality is, is that we recognize is while God is light, there is a problem, and that problem is sin. That problem is shadows that we have. You know, God is light, and then there's no darkness at all, but in Romans chapter 3, 23, it tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so here we have, we have God in his holiness, who is absolutely perfect, but then we have shadows. We have darkness, we have sin. And that when we see this contrast all throughout the book of 1 John between light and darkness, there is this comparison and contrasting between holiness and sinfulness. And so when he talks about God as light, he is basically, it's, a, it's an analogy, it's a metaphor of saying that he is absolutely holy. And this is why multiple times you hear in this, you will see that he is righteous. He is perfect. You see, but Romans 3.23 and throughout this is going to tell us it's not about if we're going to sin because we are going to sin. Because all have sinned. So the question becomes is what happened if God is trying to unify the camp? How do we address it when there is sin in the camp? And it's not going to be if there is sin in the camp, because there is going to be sin in the camp. That sin comes in because you enter into the camp. Sin comes in because I enter into the camp. That there is no person who has ever walked the earth outside of Christ who has ever lived without sin. 
And so what we recognize is when we talk about what is sin, sin is is literally, it's an archery term, and sin just simply means missing the mark. Missing the mark. It's, It's an old term that they used to have bow and arrows, they shot the arrow, and then if you didn't hit the bullseye, the person would go and say, sin, simply mean you've missed it. You didn't hit the bullseye. You didn't hit the mark that we have. You see, but one of the things when we recognize sin is that we simply see see sin as simply breaking a moral code. But sin is not just simply breaking a moral code. Sin is about a violation of relationship. It's about the impact of sin. And this is why when we see sin entering into the world in in Genesis chapter 3, as soon as sin enters into the world, what happens is that perfect harmony between God and man, between man and woman was broken. We began to hide ourselves. We began to cast shadows. And we began to walk in darkness. We were exposed of our vulnerability. And so we recognize that sin is not just simply about breaking a moral code, it's a violation. That if we are to be known by our love, and if our love is, and it's the two greatest commandments, to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, then our goal is, is to fight for that love. And whenever that love is broken, or whenever that love is questioned, or whenever that love is not being manifested, is, what is the impact of what we see taking place with sin. And so one of the things that I often talk about when we talk about sin is that sin divides. And we recognize that the goal of the Christian life is not about trying to live a perfect life. The goal of the Christian life is about reconciliation. You see, for many of us, we kind of think about like God and his relationship, that we look at the Bible as kind of a list of moral codes of what we're just supposed to do and not do. But if we recognize that the, the Bible is a love letter about a relationship that has been broken and a God who is on mission to get his people back because of what has been tarnished, what has been broke because of sin. And so when we recognize that and when we see that, we see that the Christian life is not just simply about being perfect. If you just do a, a track record of all the heroes of the faith, they were very sinful people. Abraham lied multiple times everywhere he went. David, murderer, killed a man's wife, took her. Like, over and over and over again, you see sinfulness, but what we see is a man, Abraham, the father of the faith. You see David, a man after God's own heart. Because these were people who were quick to do something. They were quick to understand their separation between God when they have done something wrong. And the question becomes, how? How do we begin to walk with a God who is light, who is holy, who has no shadow in him, but he's absolutely light? I don't know if you guys recognize, but I I know for me, like sometimes I'm an early riser and oftentimes I don't want to wake Angie up. And so I go into the room and I try not to, you know, turn on all the lights. Right. And so I grab some clothes and different things of that nature. And I'm thinking I'm good. Right. And then you know, and then I put my clothes on and I think I'm good, and then I walk outside, but then when I get outside in the light, I see that there's all types of spots on my clothes that would look good when there was a shadow, when there were shadows in there did not look good when there was absolute light. You see, after this declaration that, that we, this message that has been being proclaimed to you, this, being, this message that's being proclaimed to us, 
is that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. The question becomes is that if Christianity is about, not about a religion, but it's about relationships, the question is now how do I maintain and cultivate that relationship with God, that relationship with other believers, and that relationship with our neighbors? And this is what the life, this is what it is about, to have kononia, to have true fellowship. But how do we address this when we walk in darkness. There's one guy, J. Vernon McGee, says it like this. He says, until sin is dealt with in the life of a believer, there is no deliverance. So, if we are walking in the light, what are we to do in the light? Because God is light and, he, and God calls his children to walk in the light. Let's go through three misconceptions that we see in this text. There's three misconceptions that we see of walking in the light. Because oftentimes we don't like being exposed to the light. It comes in 1 John 1, 6, 1 John 1 and 8, 1 John 1 and 10. And we see each and every one of these, right? The first one, of the, the first misconception that we see about walking in the light is the fact that it's, it's a call basically to the ignorant to the ignorant. 1 John 1, 6 says this, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and do not practice the truth. If we say. So the first thing that that he brings up is that there's a group of people who say that they're walking with God. But when you look at their fruit, when you look at their lifestyle, when you look at what they're doing, that anything in their lifestyle says you're not walking with God. That he says that if you say that I have fellowship with him, but I walk in complete darkness, you are lying. And you are not practicing the truth. Right? So on one end, he says that this is just the ignorant. That there's this thing that we think that we can walk in step with our God and walk in complete disobedience to him. He's like, this doesn't match up. This doesn't line up with, on that. So on one end, we just kind of do, we live our best life. But then the second one that he says is to the arrogant. So he addresses the ignorant, but now he goes to the arrogant. In verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So as he first addressed, if we say we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we lie. But then he says, on the other side, the arrogance says, well, I have no sin. If we say we have no sin, he basically speaks to them, and he says, that person as well, we are both deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And I want you guys to keep hearing the referring, they're referring back to the truth. That there is a standard that has been set that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so as he is walking and as we are walking in the light, we recognize that. So if we say we have no, well, we walk in darkness, if we say that we have no sin. And then he has a third if we say in verse 10, in verse 10. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so this is the third if we say that we have. And so we talked about the 
the ignorant, we talked about the deceived, and we talked about the arrogant. And in each one of these that we, that we talk about how we are to deal with sin in, in the camp, I don't know about you, but we have all been a part of relationships. We have all been a part of community. We have been a part of churches. We've been part of marriages, friendships that have had sin that has come into, that, that sin has entered in. And the question becomes is how do we address this sin? And he gives us right here, don't say that we have relationship and just do whatever you want to do. Don't say that we want to be in a relationship, but you're always right. And you're never wrong. Don't say, because that's arrogant. Don't say, don't, don't take. And that, that last one, he kind of sounds like he's repeating, but he's actually not repeating in verse 10, where he says, um, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Basically, what he is saying in that is that you have turned what I have said is sin and made it not sin. I'm clear in the Bible and what I say is sin and what's not sin, and you are saying and declaring that it's not sin. That's old. That's ancient. And he says, don't make me a liar. He said, his word, his truth is not in us. And so as he gives these three examples of how we traditionally embrace our sin, he says, this is a misconception. This is a misconception. But what I love about the scripture is that he doesn't just give us an anti-vision. He doesn't just tell us what's wrong. He also casts the vision. He also tells us what it, the realities of what it means to walk in the light. And so in there, and so again, some translations have but if, but if, and but if. And it follows after each one. So in verse 6, it says, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we are lying and do not practice the truth. Verse 7 says, but if, the, the CSB doesn't have it, but it says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. See, what I love about this right here is that it, it gives a contrast to that first person. See, because the reality is, is that if we are going to walk in perfect light, there's two realities that we see in this text, that we will experience true relationship. You see, because it's when, like we all kind of walk around what I call crowded loneliness, that there's a lot of people around, but no one really knows you, right? And part of this is that as Christians, we have mastered the art of transparency but not vulnerability. You see, in transparency is I'm going to share a little bit about you, but I'm not going to really give you anything that can really hurt me. You see, but vulnerability is about giving and exposing your life to, to things and to people that actually, if they, they can use it and actually can hurt you. It's about really being known. And he says that if you are walking in complete light, you will be known. Many of us are talking about no one really knows me, but a lot of the times the fault is actually on us because we have all of our shadows. And we're walking in those shadows. We become comfortable in those shadows. And he says, if you walk in the light, you will have fellowship both with God and with, other, with one another. But not only that, if you walk in the light, guess what, guess what you're going to be wholly dependent on? The blood of Jesus. The blood. 
Because if you walk in the light, you know that the only way you will survive is that you are constantly cleansing yourselves of the wickedness. I love what Tim Keller says about sin. He says, not only do we need to repent for the bad things that we do, we got to repent for even the reasons why we do the good things. You see, the reality is, is that many of us, our heart is deceptive. You know, and, and it's that deception that we try to keep squashed. But when we walk in the light, and if we're truly vulnerable and truly are known with one another, then that reality is that we will get what we desire, is that relationship with God and that relationship with one another. But we're going to have to be dependent on the blood of our Lord and Savior to constantly cleanse us. And he tells us that. But then he goes on and he says that if we say... We have no sin. We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But then in verse 9, what does he say? He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you guys see that multiple times in both times? It says, he will cleanse us. He will cleanse us. You see, the problem is that we're trying to cleanse ourselves. We're trying to create kind of this holier-than-thou persona. And it's killing the body of Christ in so many ways. You see, when the reality of walking with Christ is that if we would walk in the light with him and with one another, that there will be greater intimacy that we will, we will see. But not only will we see that, there will be a greater repentance that we see. He says it's not about whether or not you are going to sin. He says you are going to sin. But what do we do with our sin? And you know what he says that we do? We confess. We confess. Confession is about telling the truth about what's going on inside. It's about exposing, you know, and when we tell the truth about what's going on inside, what that leads to is a life of repentance because we, we finally see ourselves for who we are and then we now turn to Christ for who he really is. He's the only one who can cleanse us. He's the only one who can heal us from it. See, one of the things that we recognize is that confession, confession honors God. It honors God. You know, I don't remember if you, I don't know if you remember the story of Achan. In the story of Achan, that it was the children of Israel, they were going into um, the promised land, and God said to, to, to Joshua, he says, Joshua, all the people I mean, all, like all this land that you can see, I'm going to give it. In the same way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Be strong and courageous. Uh, stay close to me. Abide by my word. And he says, and I will be with you in the same way that I was with Moses. And then they go, and you know there was 31 wars, 31 wars throughout the book of Joshua. They call it the conquest era. And in this conquest, in those 31 wars, you know they were 30 and 1. They only lost one war. They lost one war. And you know why they lost that war? Is what we call the sin of Achan. There was sin in the camp. God gave them explicit instructions about what you are to do when you enter into the land. Achan, basically in his deceit, in his deception, took on the, he took some gold and he hid it and he tried to, to do some stuff basically for self-preservation and disobeyed the Lord. Achan hid it and he did not confess. And then God basically says, uh, he says, Joshua, the reason why you're losing this war is because there's sin in the camp. He says, you need to address it. 
And he says, get everybody up. Get all the tribes. Put them all out before me. And that says, and he went through each one of them. And then when he got to the tribe of, or to, to Achan's family and, and his tribe, he basically said, that landed on him. And there was something that was, that was stated there. Joshua, not knowing exactly what was going on, he said, glorify God right now. Joshua, or Achan, glorify God by confessing your sin. He ends up confessing his sin, and basically God deals with him, and he restores the people. You see, we think that hiding and concealing our sin actually brings honor to the Lord. But it's actually the opposite. He said, confess our sin. Stop building this holier than now. Mantra, come to me. Confess. I know that I am faithful. I am just and I will cleanse you. Yes, I am light. Yes, I am calling you to do something that's impossible. To walk in the light. To walk in vulnerability. And when sin, not if sin, but when sin comes, honor me by confessing and being dependent. You see, why is that? Because we recognize is that what we will end up doing with sin is that we'll end up saying that nobody's perfect. You know, God understands and we'll begin to rationalize in our mind. We'll begin to, to, to begin to defend ourselves. Sin allows us to start, kind of start being vigilante. Sin begins to breed distrust. Sin begins to hide because we gotta, be, we gotta begin to put ourselves in shadows. You see, a lot of times when we talk about sin, we talk about sin, as, as I talked about, in more of a sanitized way. When we say, you know, sin is just, you know, it's, it's a missing the mark, which is true. That's the literal definition, a literal understanding. It's missing the mark. But we recognize that if we are to look at throughout the Bible, as soon as sin enters into the world, that it becomes this wild beast. In Genesis chapter 4, it says, it tells to Cain, he says, Cain, why are you so upset? He says, you got to get it together. He says, because sin is crouching at your door. It's this wild lion. It's looking to destroy you. It's looking to take over. It's not looking to just kind of bring some inconveniences. You see, because sin is, was birthed from the father of lies. And we recognize that the father of lies comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God or Satan is not excited that he's just made you a little bit inconvenient. Satan is trying to kill you. Satan is trying to destroy God's church. Satan is trying to disrupt all fellowship. He wants to end it. Because it's the hallelujah that's the highest praise. That the gospel says he's torn down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. That he's been able, people who are not usually able to get together are able to get together and Satan wants to do nothing but destroy that. You see, you see church, you're nothing like, you're just like the rest of them. And this is why it says he's an accuser. He comes. I've used this analogy many times, but I don't have a better one, so I'm going to use it again. Do you guys know how Eskimos hunt wolves in Alaska, or how they used to at least? What Eskimo does is that he takes a knife, 
And basically, he puts blood, he saturates it with blood. Then he freezes it. He then takes that knife and he dips it in some more blood and then he freezes it again. He takes that same knife and he dips it and he repeats this process multiple times. And then he does one last thing, he sticks it in the blood and then he puts it up and he kind of weighs the aroma and he sticks it up and so the wolf catches the scent of blood. The wolf now goes and the wolf begins to lick. Begins to lick. Ice, blood, ice, blood, layer after layer. Until one time, there's no more ice or blood. And he takes one final lick, and he slits his tongue. But at this time, he's got a new fresh sense of blood. He doesn't allow the pain to take him away. And he stays and he continues. And then the next day, they find him, the wolf, laying in his own trap. You see, that's what sin is. When this says sin is crouching at your door, that is seeking to destroy you, that you would think that some of the pain and the hurt that we've experienced would keep us from going back. But we keep going back. We keep wanting more. We keep saying that oh, it'll be different this time. We keep flirting. And until one time we're just dead, we no longer trust God. We're dead. We no longer trust one another. We're dead. We, we've given up on the church. We no longer trust God. We just give up. But it's because we've been, we've allowed sin that was crouching at our door. And this is why Jesus says, have a short account with sin. Walk in the light. Walk in the light and you will have intimacy with one another. You will have intimacy with me. Walk in the light by confessing your sins not withholding your sins. Walk in the light. Why are we to walk in the light? Because the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and as he has come as just, he is, as he comes very aggressively, our Savior, our Lord, is just as aggressive with his righteousness. And this is what we see. If, in verse if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And I love what it says right here. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, my little children, my little children. He kind of changes the narrative. He changes the narrative, and, and he puts us, and he doesn't just call us children. He calls us the littlest of children. And it reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 2. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, when it talks about this idea of my little children, you know, it says that come to me as newborn babes, that we come to God with our neediness. Then we recognize, he says, my little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. Because some of the people may have missed the point, and this is why I love John. He's like, you, you, some of you guys are missing it. Because, you know, the holier-than-thou people, what they do is they say, well, if it's all about grace, if it's all about just, you know, all you got to do is confess, then why don't we just all sin the more? Paul says that in Romans chapter 6, he says, may that never be. Because if you've been buried with Christ, then you will also be raised with him. And so these doubters that says, he says, let me just make sure, like, there is going to be sin in the camp and there's nothing that you can do. And that sin will destroy us if we don't address it. 
It will destroy us. But here's the, the roadmap to addressing it. Confess. Come to me. Right? But I just want you to know, I'm writing these things so, not so that everybody can just go wild out, so everybody can just go out and sin. That's not why I'm writing this. I'm writing these things so you may not sin. But if, there's that third but if, but if anyone does sin, if anyone does sin, and this is the part that just kind of brings the crescendo. It says, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father. And it says, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. You see, these three realities of intimacy and repentance, you know, right here focuses on our dependency because it says Christ is our advocate. You see, I love John. If you just look at the book of John, the gospel of John, and if you look at the book of first, the first John and second John, you see this idea of Christ being lifted up of who Jesus is. John chapter 20 says, I wrote all these things and there's many more I could have written so that you would know that Christ is the son of God, that you may believe. You know, but right here in these two verses, we see three things is that one, Christ is our advocate with the father. Christ is our advocate with the Father. You see, this word right here is the same word that's used when it talks about in John chapter 14, where it says that I will send you a helper, another helper. That word, the word alas paraclete, parakletos, basically means another helper. That word paraclete is the same word that's used right here, that Jesus is saying in the same way that the Holy Spirit is our helper, that I am also an helper, but when it's done in a different way, that he says, I will send you another helper. As I am here helping you, I will send you another helper because I must go to the Father. Why? Because there's this enemy that's going to be making accusations about you. And when he's making accusations about you, he says, Christ is up there interceding for us as our paraclete, our advocate, saying, God, the Father, yes, it is true. He is sinful. He is sinning right now. Yes, she is wrong. Yes, she is. But guess what? I died for that. And it's that advocacy that he has, that we, that he, that Christ, that God, the Father sees, and he says that I've laid all that on him, on the the paraclete, on Christ, our advocate, who intercedes for us. Why? And this is why it says, he says, it's our advocate. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, the righteous one. You see, if you look at the book of Romans, in the book of Romans, what you see is that it's about righteousness. Many of us look at the Bible or look at God and we ask the question, how can a, a, a loving God send people to hell? But we're asking the wrong question. The right question is, how can a holy and a perfect and a God who is light allow darkness, allow sinful people like us? And it's because we have an advocate. It's because Jesus Christ is the only one who lived the life that we could not live and died the death that you deserve. So that it can say in that third one is that so that it would be an atoning sacrifice. That word right there means it's a propitiation. That what Christ did is that he satisfied God's wrath. God hates sin. He hates it. 
he hates sin. But with the same aggression that the enemy is trying to push sin, God, with equal aggression, he pushes a savior. He pushes a son. He sacrificed his son so that we might live. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I may have fellowship. This is about fellowship. This is about fellowship. This is why Christ, everything that he has done is about bringing unity. That we look to him and to him alone. You see, the gospel leads us to a life of repentance, a life of dependence, not a life of perfection. God, the Father, Jesus knows that you are not going to be perfect. You are not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. But what, all he's asking for you to do is just come to him. Come to him. Bring it to him because he's our advocate. He is the righteous one who intercedes for us. He has satisfied the wrath of God. So you don't got to worry. Because when he sees you, he sees his son. You see, if we're going to be known by our love, the Bible tells us that love is long-suffering. It's kind. It's patient. It's not puffed up. It doesn't seek after its own. But one of the things that we recognize is that love is a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests regardless of the cost. Saints, if we're going to be people who embrace the love of our Lord and Savior, we got to be people who embrace confession. We have to be people who embrace repentance. And so as it's a, a sign of that, what we're going to do right now is that we're just going to take some time. Because I, I really do believe that, like, what happens is that we go out and we leave and we go get our, our bellies filled and, and we don't, and we miss this moment to confess to our Lord that we've been walking in shadows, we've been walking in darkness. And this is a time for us to just, to repent. So I'm going to ask if we have some elders and some Titus II women to come up to the front and we're just going to take a few minutes just to go before the Lord. And, and, and I'll just say that this, is, this, is, this can be a dismissal of service for any of you who feel like we need to go at this time. We don't wanna, we're not going to hold anybody up. But we do. We do want to take the time. We're going to take some moments just to come before our Lord and say, Lord, I'm tired of walking in darkness. I'm tired of walking in the shadow. We're just going gonna to do business with our Lord. And if there may be somebody in here that you may have to go to and say, oh, I'm sorry. I did you dirty. I, I, I've sinned. Whatever it may be. And so we're just going to take some time. And the elder's going to come up, tie these two women. And we're going to spend some time. We're going to pray. So let me pray. And open up our time. Father, if we say we have no sin, the lie and the truth is not in this. If we say we have fellowship with you but walk in darkness, we make you a liar. If we say we have not sinned, if we change it up, Lord, but Father, but if, if we walk in the light, you are faithful to cleanse us. If we confess our sins, you're faithful. 
to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody in here today that, that is not trusting in you as their advocate, they're more concerned about not getting caught, not being exposed. Father, I pray right now, God, God, that you would prick their heart and you would allow us to come and to confess our faults one to another so that we can pray one to another. And so, Father, I, I spend this time, Lord, asking for your forgiveness, asking for your grace, asking for your mercy. And Lord, we'll do our best to give you the praise, honor, and glory. It's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen. So as we maintain the spirit of prayer right now, we're just going to leave the altar open for a minute. You may want to just come before the Lord. You may want to pray with one of these brothers and sisters, but let's, let's do business with the Father if we confess. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.